Yeah, bye. <laughs> Man, what? Welcome, friends, to Joe Blow Horror Show, where we review, rate, discuss, and break down horror films, not horror movies. Chicka chicka, what? What's up, guys? We are back, and we do not rate horror films, we rate horror movies. Mr. Tibu, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, boss tuna. All right, let's get into a couple shotgun reviews, eh? What say you, Tibu? Yeah, All right, man. Bud. Yeah, bud. For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. <laughs> Yeah. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. I've got I've got two shotgun reviews. Um, and I'm warning everyone right now, I won't have ratings for either of them because guess what? Oh, the 2020 all, bitch! All you boys been doing is watching 2020, son. Except for these two movies that we're talking about here tonight on the Joe Blow Horror Show. I've so. Got- an entire page here of all 2020s. I'm moving it up and down fast so you can't see ratings. Uh, yeah, I didn't see any ratings. <laughs> but I got I got a couple that I cherry-picked out that are yeah. not Well, you, you go first with your first one. Okay, I'm going to talk about briefly, and we're going to keep I – think, I think if it's 2020, we'll keep this kind of short and, and, and tight. What's that expression? Uh, tight to the vest, or uh, I believe it's tight like a toiger. Tight like a toiger, close to the vest. We're gonna. I'm. I'm gonna talk about Ghost Killers versus Bloody Mary. If you like spoofy, did Mark, did Mark Nato give you this one as like a shot in the dark movie or something? This sounds like Exorcism at sixty thousand feet. No, but he is the first person that I heard talk about this glowingly, um, oh, and this shit. was earlier that. Yeah, this was earlier this year. This was way back when it first started streaming. So I've had time to catch up on this movie, and I finally did. What was this? I want to say it's like ass buck kitty balls or something. What the hell did you say this was again? (laughs) Ghost Killers versus Bloody Mary. Okay, Ghost Killers versus Bloody Mary. Got it. Yes. Um, Bad title, cool flick. If you are into stuff like uh, Evil Dead 2, or Return of the Living Dead. Yes, and if, yes. If, if you like some spoof with your gore, then this is the film for you. God damn. I, You're going to have to text me about this because I'll forget about it. I'm not going to get into ratings. Um, I will say, again, th- that those types of films, if you're a fan, you're going to get something out of this movie. If you don't like your comedy and your horror mixed together, if you're not a Shaun of the Dead fan, then – this this won't be Shaun of the Dead is a touchstone. So and so is right. Evil Dead Two. I'm not saying this movie is the next Evil Dead Two or Shaun of the Dead or Return of the Living Dead by any means. You know, it's miles from that. It'll never be that. But th- that's you know, it's but it's standing on the shoulders of those giants. So if you like those types of films, I I, I suggest checking that out. It's streaming right now on Shutter. Get Shutter, folks. Okay, so if does it say 2020 on Shutter? 
I, I don't know, but I am considering right. it a 2020 release. Well, the reason I ask is, is because what I've, cause I've seen most of the movies that I want to see. I've got the four that I told you about earlier today. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing now is I'm going through Shutter and I'm just watching. I'm, I'm going to try to watch all the 2020s listed on Shutter. Uh, so if you go on your Shutter app and you've got the all movies, they go by order of release, and I'm just working back through. Um, so if it's if it says 2020, I'll watch it. If it's one of those that says 2019, but it wasn't readily available until 2020, you, you know, and and we're getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves here because us, like most other podcasts and lists in general, we don't count release date and we, we we count wide release dates we're not we're not going to count a movie that was released this year but you're not going to be able to see it for like two more years because it's doing a festival run correct uh i agree with that and that's how i i no. you know i was i was conflicted on it a little bit but but i've done it already actually even by having our list that we did for last year we had movies on our list that technically if you want right. to get technical and say when the release date was you could count the festival thing. But the but problem is, is like how many movies would, would you miss? Because most you'd people, miss a exactly, lot, a lot. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So fuck that. We're doing wide release shit. It's a 2020 film. Check it out. All right. So I just showed Tibu a whole page of the sacred text where I write down every movie I've seen. How many, how many lines are there on a standard page? Like, 30 25 or 30 25 to 30 25 to 30 i would say all but four of these are 2020 and i didn't want to do 2020 because you know well just because we're going to be talking about a lot of them here it's all i got it's all i got no i'm not that's not a jab at you that's just saying i cherry picked a couple out of here you know what i'm gonna save I'm going to save the one I was going to do first for last. Okay, so the first one I'm going to talk about actually <laughs> is a tw- – I lied. I'm going to do a 2021, and I'm going to put a rating on it. What? Yes. But hear me oh. out. There's a, there's a caveat to all this. So everything Probably I just said bad. is fucking bullshit because I'm going to tack <laughs> on everything. Okay. I'm doing – The system's breaking down. I'm doing yeah, – I was going to say – you smell that? There's like burning rubber coming out of here. It's on fire. No, okay. <laughs> We're going to reel this in. I'm doing two movies tonight. One of them's a 2020. What I did was, I'm, and just because I talk too much and I go off on tangents, I'm going to give you the backstory. So we got rid of DirecTV because I got tired of paying 190 whatever dollars a month for it. And we just do straight streaming. And I am one of those where some people have to have a fan, you know, blowing on them to sleep at night. I have to like when it gets to that time and, and I'm a night owl. Like I on average probably don't go to bed until midnight, one, two AM during a during the work week. So what I do is when I'm ready to, you know, shut down, I lay on the couch and I just flip something on. It used to be the food network. Like I don't watch TV, I watch just either movies or sports, but I fucking love the food network. Now I don't have the food network, so I find movies that I don't care about if I fall asleep on them. Well, I found this movie on Amazon Prime. It was short. It was 64 minutes. So I'm like, I could probably get through this. I should have known by the title that this was going to make me regret staying up 
watching it and hate my life. And the next three days after, because I was so mad at myself for watching this movie and wasting that time. It's called <laughs> Slain Deer Back to the Future. I'm going to say that again. Slain Deer Back to the Future. This was a free movie on Amazon Prime. So keep in mind that Boss Tuna here does not know a lot about Amazon Prime because I never watched stuff on there unless it was a specific movie I wanted to watch. Say, say the I title. I had no one. idea that. Say it one more time, please. Slain Deer Back to the Future. <laughs> this movie is so bad that you can't even find it on like your IMDb's. I think I might have found it on Letterboxd. <laughs> Amazon Prime. What the fuck are you thinking? This makes me realize that I could take my iPhone 4 out of my box that's in my fucking closet right now, charge that <laughs> bad boy up and go in my backyard and shoot a 64 minute video of me taking a shit into <laughs> a fucking pile of sand and sell it to Amazon prime because that's what this movie was. Damn. I, it was so bad. Like I rarely, maybe once a year I turn a movie off this one was so bad that I watched it thinking that, okay, there's got to be something coming. And, and, and I really, I mean, part of me is just kind of, I don't want to say joking around, but I'm just having fun ripping on it. And I would feel really bad. I'm not that much of an asshole. I'd feel really bad if the three people that watch this um, and like it, <laughs> listen to our show. And I apologize, but Good God. I mean, this is a fan film. <laughs> and, and I really do hate ripping on fan films because they do put their heart and soul into it. But this... Tibu, did I ever tell you the story about me making a uh, movie in high school when I was in... I want to say I was a junior in high school. It was called I'm, The Full House Murder Mystery. I'm not sure. Yeah. In high school, in our speech class, I don't know what the fuck we had to do, but my buddies and I decided we were going to make a movie, and it was going to be called The Full House Murder Mystery. I played Danny. I played Danny Tanner. And it was a murder mystery, and you know who the killer was? His Uncle Jesse. Really? Yes. And we had my one but. Anyways, I'm on a tangent. That movie I made back in 2000 or 2001 had better production value. Oh. had better acting and it was a better movie than this right here and i am sorry to say but i'm coming in at a one out of ten which is wow. the official lowest rating of a movie on the joe blow horror show so con fucking congratulations yeah because i gave darkness falls a 1.5 i gave it a 0.5 for that opening i think darkness falls is a nine out of ten if you watch that after this movie. Watch Dude, this I have movie. to watch this now. Watch this movie and then go watch Darkness Falls and you will you will regret yourself and, and hate yourself and lose sleep for fucking seven years for giving that a 1.5 and then trying to figure out how we can do negative numbers for this fucking movie. It's a, it's, it's a seven-year curse, this film, huh? Dude. Damn. If you watch this movie and then you watch Darkness Falls, you're going to be like, how is there only... 
a half point or point whatever difference. Oh God. Okay. Oh my God. I'm off on my tangent, but it's only 64 minutes long. So if you think you can suffer through that, Oh, I can suffer. You. But, yeah. I'm yeah. going to have to check this out. Um, all right. So up next for me and my final shotgun review of the night is another 2020. It's all I've been watching. It's all I got folks. I could, I could lie and, and say something else, but here it is. I watched the bold reimagining of a horror classic. Castle I think Freak. we talked about this movie. Yeah. Castle Freak. Yep. I think uh, we talked about this one here, right? Uh, yeah, that, we did. Yep. That it was, that it was coming out. Yep. Well, I saw it. Me too. I'm not going to tip my hat at all. You already did, uh, me, but not to the, not to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to say this. If you are a fan of Lovecraft mm. and you're willing to just spend what is it, man? It's like an hour 30. It's not a long movie. 106 minutes. I'm looking at it in my notebook right now. Oh, okay. So then it's okay. It's closer to, it's like an hour 40 something. But if, if you're willing to spend some time with the film and you're a fan of Lovecraft and you enjoy the original, this, this well, much like uh, you said something else was divisive earlier. Um, the Lodge, I think. I yeah. think this film has proven to be divisive online. Um, As is any movie, and that's what pisses me off, you fucking horror fans. You know who you are. As is any movie, that's either a remake or a reboot, reimagination, re whatever. You get the nostalgia of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think based on the fact that the even the original film itself, which is part of the <laughs> Stuart Gordon, Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton trilogy of Lovecraft films, um, I think even even though that film is what it is, it it itself was based on a, a short story by Lovecraft called The Outsider that has damn near nothing to do with even the original film. So it, it doesn't matter what this film does with the source material because guess what? It does a hell of a lot more with infusing Lovecraft into the, into the, the story. Yeah. So if you're a fan of Lovecraft, and you dig the imagery of the original, check this movie out. This is another Shudder release. Shudder is killing it this year, man. God damn. Left and right, like, for me. Well, there, Shutter, there was the tip of the hat. Shudder is a phenomenal streaming service. The only fucking gripe I have is their app on the Fire Stick is a fucking dumpster fire. Like I, I, I'm typically not a Karen, but I had to write an email in to their service center and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like it's been three days. This app keeps crashing. I've deleted it, reinstalled it. And it took them like a week to get back to me. And they're like, Oh, we think we've resolved the issue. And then I started working. I'm like, Oh, thanks for fucking not replying to me for a week. Anyways. Yeah. I hate that shitty customer. I'm in service. a shitty attitude now because of that fucking movie. God damn it. Well, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> get into your next one. Maybe that's okay. a better one. My next one is going to, yeah, my next one is going to bring it up. Part of me was like, should I give a rating on this or not? Because it'd be a great fireside chat bonus episode. But Thanksgiving night, I watched Thanksgiving. 2009 rated R, 70 minutes. This movie is, okay, so it's only 70 minutes. So it's, it's a quick, fast watch. 
this is one of those where we talked about in a previous discussion topic and a little bit tonight, where it's a perfect one of those seasonal watches. And I would be happy to watch this during Thanksgiving. I mean, I'll probably watch this every Thanksgiving. It's an extremely, Damn. extremely, extremely. So there's a very fine line that differentiates, I would say either, I would say next to your, oh God, how do I even get to this without offending people? Okay, so you have your big budget studio release horror movies, your Blumhouse movies or whatever. Then you get your more independent movies, which are going to be your like Robert, Robert Eggers and maybe even uh, Ari Aster. And Nick then Shostakovsky. Going, what's that? Nick Shostakovsky. Yeah. <laughs> then you're going to get your independent lower budget movies. And then you get your really low budget movies. And then you get these movies, which are like in between your fan films and low budget movies. That's where this one lands. The movie on paper and everything you think and read about it should be fucking, it shouldn't work, but it's, it, it does work. It, it's funny. The acting's horrible, but it's funny. Um, it's so off the wall, silly, stupid, but it's also only 70 minutes. So it's nice and tight. And there's a, the sequel is called things killing three. <laughs> and it's the second movie. So it took me for a loop. I'm like, wait, does this one take space, take place in space or whatnot? But no, it's, it's, um, it's a Turkey that goes and kills people. I guarantee people that have listened to this has probably heard that at least. I mean, it's your people that watch a horror movie on Thanksgiving night. It's probably gonna be this one here, but I would say, check it out. I gave it a five out of 10. Um, I mean, if, if we go off of production values and, in acting and in all that kind of stuff, it'd be probably closer to two or three, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. It's, is it is it funny enough. Um, the Turkey was great. So yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a fun movie and your, or yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. You gave your two. I gave my two. Yeah. I'm done. No more shotguns for. Oh, I'm done. Let's, let's fucking get out of this bullshit that we're in here. And we are going to get into the back half here of the episode and keep this train trucking along and talk about our next feature movie, eh? Right on. A cube. 26 rooms high. Six rooms across. Seventeen thousand five hundred seventy-six rooms. Does anybody remember how they got here? Why would they throw innocent people in here? Are we being punished? There's a way in here, so there's got to be a way out. Do you think they'd go to all the trouble to build this thing if we could just walk out? Take a good long look around. Cause I got a feeling it's looking at us. We have about three days without food and water before we're too weak to move. I just want to wake up. I looked in the room down there and something almost cut my head off. Motion detectors integrated into the walls. Tough to spot. You're not getting out of here. Yes, we are. There is no way out of here. We need to get around the traps. They're identified by prime numbers. Figure it out. I can't. I'm not dying in a rat maze. 
No more talking. No more guessing. You gotta save yourselves from yourselves. What the hell is going on? We haven't been moving in circles. The runes have. We are the key. The cube is us. All right, Tibu, what movie are we watching next? Tonight, we're going to be discussing for our new film, 1997's Cube. Yes. So, 90 Minutes, directed by Vincenzo Natale. He has quite a few credits. Notable, I guess, for horror would be um, Splice. I remember seeing that. Uh, Haunter. I, I like ahead. Splice, by the yes. way. Yep. Haunter 2013, not the one from last year, a.k.a. 2019. Uh, In the Tall Grass, and he has done a shitload of uh, movie, which a lot of them are horror. Like this, oh, he, here's something for you. He directed one episode of the new uh, Stand. So oh, one fucking A. Yeah, one of the ten, one of the ten um, episodes, or whatever this season uh, is by him. I, I liked uh, in the Tall Grass as well. By the way, another yep. Stephen King adaptation. Yes, I watched that too. That was a 2019 as well. So yeah, as far as his horror TV, I mean, he's on a lot of TV. But I just wrote some of his horror stuff. It's The Stand, The Strain, Hannibal. So I mean, he's he's done some pretty good stuff as far as horror TV goes. And and obviously, just by some of the movies I've named, you can tell that cube is one of the earlier um, works from him. So this was written by obviously, well not obviously, but this was also written by Vincenzo Natale, another guy named Andre Bajelicic, which I mean, (laughs) he's probably like his best friend that he let him write one scene or something. The guy (laughs) has no, I mean, the guy has done nothing. So literally, this is like the only thing he's done. But it does have a fairly busy writer in. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and guess this guy is Scottish. Maybe his first name is G R A E M E. Last name Manson. I can only imagine that's Graham. Yeah. I mean, who who? Fuck you for spilling it like that. No, I'm just kidding. But no, all, but I would say it was written mostly by probably Graham Mason and, and um, the director, Natalie. But however, Mason has got some pretty good chops under him as well, too. So um, mostly TV horror, uh, such as Orphan Black and Snowpiercer. This movie is starring Nicole DeBoer. She was in Prom Night 4. She played, I believe it was... Not Halloway, but the other chick. Worth? No, not Worth. Levin. Levin? No, Levin. 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 Also starring Maurice Dean Wint, who was Quentin. Uh, David Hewlett, who was Worth, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he was in... Uh, yeah, so that, that Maurice Dean Wint really wasn't in anything, I guess. Uh, David Hewlett was in Shape of Water, Splice, Scanners 2... Uh, and then Wayne Robson, who played uh, Ren, he was in. Yeah. Dude, that guy's got like 162 film credits, all character yes. actors. Just using a shitload of stuff. 
um, Survival of the Dead, Wrong Turn, one and two. A lot of these actors, however, were also in the Friday the 13th TV series. So they, they've all got, and, and, and in a movie like this too, they've all got relationships with the writers and directors. So they were also in, um, I mean, oh God, there, there was some other stuff in there that, that I didn't write down. But you know, they, I want to point out too, this is a Canadian film. It is Canadian, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Cana- oh, Canadians yes, yes, make I some did good horror that. movies, yes. man. Yep. What do you think this got on the B? This film? Uh, higher um, than you I- think. Yeah, well, no, I, I know this movie got good critical reception. I think on the B, it would probably get like around a 6.8. Uh, 7.2. Okay, 7.2. And on Rotten Tomatoes, I would throw it in around a 76% area. 100% correct. Good, good. That was a good guess. What is Pops it? on that. It was 76, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Nice, very nice. Um. I know typically with movies like this, we don't really get into the budget because it was such a small budget. But if you had to guess, what do you think the budget was? Less than a million dollars. At the, at, the, at the minimum, or well, at the most, I would say it probably had a budget of around 600000 at the most, <laughs> if that. 350000 yeah. Okay. So half of that then. Yep. Makes um, sense because, because it's all one location. It's literally one location yep, setting yep. and these are all unknowns. What do you think so, it's got theatrically? And it was obviously a pretty small theatrical release. Less than 20 million. Okay. I thought 389,000 was really high and that's oh. what I got. But when I say oh. theatrical, this was only in, I should have, I, I kind of set you up for that one. This one was only in like a couple fucking theaters in the Toronto area. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I didn't know. I, I thought it might've got like a limited release maybe. No, and, then, no. and then, and then, and then that, you know how they do the limited, then they do the slow rollout where it kind of, yeah, so this, this one got super popular at the Toronto film festival. So it was in just a few limited theaters around in Canada. So uh, some trivia I got for this is one of the coolest things. So I've seen this movie once before, actually very recently. I saw this movie in the last year, and then I watched it again today. Um, All of the characters, I did not know this the first time I watched it, but all of the characters are named after prisons. Did you catch that or did you know that? Prisons? Yes. All of the characters are named after prisons, but that's not only it. The cool thing, I mean, I think that's cool, but the really cool thing is that um, they, they were not only named after prisons, but they reflect the prisons they were named after. So, for example, Kazan, who was the mentally ill pert character, yeah. was named after a prison in France or was named after a prison in Russia that was for the mentally ill. Oh. Uh, Ren, the French name guy, was named after a prison in France. Holloway uh, was named after a famous female prison in the UK. And then Leavenworth, obviously, you know, that those two were put together. Uh, Quentin was named after San Quentin. San Quentin, oh my God. Was an extremely brutal 
in California. Yes, so that was a really brutal prison. Yeah, so oh, this is mind blowing, man. Okay, that's pretty cool, huh? For the for the listeners, this is my pick, and I have loved this. Well, tip of the hand, I've loved this movie since I was a kid, and I didn't know that, and I didn't look up any trivia because that was your deal, and and. Uh, I didn't want to like dive into that because I've never done that with this with this movie or its sequel and prequel. Um, I've seen all three, but I've never. So is Cube Zero? That's the third one. Is that the prequel then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, Hypercube I is the second one. one. Okay. Yep. That, I just wanted to say, yeah, I'm a I'm I, I'm a fan of the film, and I did not know that. Um, I saw this when I was young, dude. I saw this in the yeah. in the in the late nineties. So it was, this movie actually came out and I probably saw it close to when it actually came out oh, on okay. VHS. That's pretty cool. My nanny owned a video store and I would see whatever the fuck I wanted. And so I probably saw this film for the first time around 98, 99. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. A lot of people may know this, but this was shot. Like you said, all one setting, one scene it was all with one cube. Uh, all they did was they just changed the panels for the lights yep. um, to, to swap that out. Brilliant. The, so core is the company that did the special effects and they did all of it for free because they knew this was a low budget movie and they were, you know, trying to help pimp it uh, with the Toronto film festival and everything as well too. So um, that's all I got for trivia. Unless you wanted to add anything else or hop into it. I'm going to hop because yeah, I didn't, I didn't go into it, but this movie opens uh, very slowly and you get the reveal of um, this man who is emerging from some door or does he wake up on the ground? I forget. (sighs) Oh shit. No, you get a pretty cool camera shot actually of him waking up. With his eye. Remember oh, the camera the, zoomed into yes, his it's eye? It's close up on the eye. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yep. So the film opens on this human eye and, and it's, 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 he opens it and it's clear that the eye is uncertain and in horror because it's like beating around and the, the, you see the pupil dilate to like absorb the light of the room he's in. And he gets up and he's in this, he's in this cube shaped room. I don't remember the color. I, I regret, um, I should have wrote that down for each of the rooms corresponding to the scenes. I did not, or maybe some I did, but anyway, he wakes up in a room. It's this very industrial, but also futuristic looking style of room. There's these weird etchings in the walls and uh, it's all one color. Let's just call it blue for the sake of calling it something. And there in, in, in every wall of this cubed room. So there's six, you know, Oh, four walls, a ceiling, and a floor. There's a doorway by, by, by way of a, a lever that you can spin around, pull the door open, and it slides. And then you see beyond into the next room. Yep, he so it's a cube the- in each side. So a cube has got six sides, and there's a door to it. One, cool, one other cool thing, too, that I noticed, um, and then I did a little bit more research on, but the door handles of the cube are made out of uh, like a tap and die set. So anyone that does any kind of, <laughs> you might know what that is too. So tap and die. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you were like to thread a bolt or something, you basically get this, 
those are huge. Those are bigger than, you know, normal. Yeah. Yeah. Bigger, way bigger than the ones, but yeah. So you basically get that. If you see the movie, you know what I'm talking about, but you, that, that's got these like carbide tip things on it and you can just literally take a pipe and spin that on there and it will, it will thread it. So you can screw it yeah. out on it. So that's what they use. Very, very ingenious. I mean, with the low budget, they did a great job as far as, you know. Oh, phenomenal job. This is and, – and I love that you were talking about fan films and low-budget films in our shotgun reviews because this is how you make a low-budget movie, yep. everybody. This is what you do. You, you, you utilize ideas and, 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 and get creative with it, man. And I think the filmmakers did a great job with that. Um, from, from you, scene, keep, you keep going. I'll be back in just a second. But, yeah, keep going. From scene one, they, they do a great job. And so you get this guy. He, he, he comes into this room, and he is – it's clear he doesn't he, – he's bewildered. He doesn't know where he's at. Um, he's in this cube-shaped room. He opens a door, peers into the next room, and all you get is a shot of the next room appearing to be the same style of room, a cube-shaped room – strange etchings on the wall industrial look an alien look almost like what is going on here where are we but the room that he is peering into is of a different color if his room is blue then the next room is green so he goes and he opens another door when he sits <laughs> when he enters this room he appears to be cautious a little cautious and he walks forward and then there's a snap, a strange sound. And from his face, blood droplets appear. Yep. And right out of slice, his right slice, cheek. Slice marks. Yep. And then in an amazing special effect, this dude's entire body splits into cube shapes and starts breaking and falling to the floor. And you see the muscle and the bone and the sinew. And then the film reveals what happened. This trap, it slides back into the camera and you see a wire set up in the shape of all these cubes and it snaps up into the ceiling and the, and the title card hits. It's completely white and it says cube. And it was integrated pretty well. So I got to say for 1997, 23 years ago, the CGI obviously today it doesn't hold up but it's pretty good back then it was had to have been fantastic i mean state of the art this is right here for me it's right out of the original resident evil but resident evil came out in 98 this was 97 this did it first with that scene that you're talking about by the way mm -hmm. um in resident evil rather than a wire trap they did a laser trap but yeah, this did it first. Resident Evil 100% copied this. And very, very powerful, strong opening. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, really, you watch that and then, I mean, just, it's your stereotypical, like, here's your intro. We're going to fucking kick you in the nuts. Boom, title card. Now we're going to slow it down, get some character development. And that's exactly kind of what's going on, but. Yeah, I, yes, I love the way that was done. And, and they did mix in some practical effects, too, with you yes. know, the blood coming down his face. So I think they integrated it pretty well. Dude, I, I from, from childhood till now, I love this fucking scene. Like, it's I still, to me, the opening of this film is, it like, if you had a list 
Huh? Everyone loves lists. If you had a list of best horror movie openings, this would be Ghost Ship. Man, I'd have go that another good one. And that's yes, that's a good opening scene. That fucking <laughs> the the multiple decapitations wow. and bodies. Yeah. Um, this would be close to being Future on the discussion list. Discussion topic there. I think I'm going to write that down on my list before you do. <laughs> yeah, best horror openings, man. Um, that'd be a good one. Um, so yeah, we follow this up with some character development. You are introduced to Quentin, Worth, Holloway, Levin. That there are all these these people who don't know each other waking up in this place and entering in this into this one room um quentin is a is a cop uh i think a detective perhaps i, I forget exactly they don't what his... say it just says cop though but yeah they kind of but insinuate he... because throughout the movie he talks about how he's trained on reading people and all that kind of shit yes yes so that's why i think he's possibly a detective um there's this guy worth who's very uh like standoffish he's not really saying anything he's very quiet so he's kind of suspect um the female doctor holloway Holloway. she's a blonde lady and she's kind of um she was in i didn't really write her down as far as a a character but one of the movies she was in people recognize her she was the crazy aunt and ready or not oh there you go okay wow no i didn't know that either she she's also kind of a conspiracy theorist to an extent, yes. or yeah. uh, you get which, you get which that is from, kind of funny in today's day and age. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, everyone's got their own personal views, folks. But I don't know. I look around and I see shenanigans. Um, anywho, um, and the, and Levin Levin is the uh, like the high school or college aged, you know, uh, young female character. Um. And she's freaking out like she's kind of off her rocker, which Quentin Quentin has to kind of talk her down. Um, and and they, they 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 they're all trying to get to know each other or figure out where they're at, what's going on. Um, and enter this old guy. He comes in swinging a boot, or or he's got a boot and he's swinging yeah. in. And he he then he swing he swings it into one room and what happens? It gets torched. Which is funny, too, because he ties his two laces together, but he somehow gets 20 feet of, of cord on them. We're not here to nitpick. <laughs> well, I mean, that was pretty obvious. He's don't standing nit- in one and throws it in the middle of the other. Okay, anyways. Keep don't, don't nitpick my pick. <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah you're right. I'm, that, I'm sorry. It is, out, it is outrageous. Um, yeah, he throws his boot in, and I believe he gets torched, and he pulls it back in. And this guy is every, – everyone has a, a name. They're all wearing the same uniform, and everyone's got their name printed or their last name printed on their uniform, correct? Uh, their last name is on their left breast. Yes. So this guy is uh, – it, it reads Renz. Yeah, Renz. Uh, yep. Yes. And so – the. They're trying to figure out where they are, and uh, Quentin tells them that some of the rooms contain traps, and he he discovered this while he was exploring it. And he figures out that Renz is actually – it's a French name. It's Ren. The S is silent. 
He's the Wren, a guy that has escaped seven different prisons. Okay? So he knows, like, how to strategically get out of an area or he, he's he, he's uh, intelligent and, and, and is very experienced in booby traps and things like that or alarm systems. Just he knows his way, you know, around a, a place like this. So that's kind of why he's he's throwing the boots around and, and seeing like motion detector tests and different things like that. So there's this maze that's in front of them. Like what room is going to trigger what and, and, and which, which room is going to contain a trap and, and all the while, where the fuck are we? Why are we here? Um, is this, is this, is this where they talk about like the last thing they were doing before they got caught or that comes later? I can't remember. I think it comes after Ren meets his fate. Okay. So (laughs) spoilers. Um, they're 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 trying to figure out where to go, and they they notice that every room has these numbers inscribed into these little placards. When you open the doorway between the rooms, each side of the door has these numbers on them, and they're like, you know, what three the fuck? Of is this? Three numbers, so nine numbers. Yes, and Ren enters one of the rooms that he he like already threw his boot through and nothing happens and this this is right after he turns around and tells all them that there's like this moment where he lets his true character be known he's like you gotta you gotta you gotta get your head straight you know like you and and if you guys fuck around too much i'm gonna i'm gonna be gone like i'm gonna get out of here i'm getting out of here he also gives holloway his button and tells her to suck on that button because it keeps the saliva flowing yeah, so Holloway, we find out, is a doctor, and she is talking about the fact that within three days, we're going to be starved and dehydrated and whatnot, which I have a question. I think anyone with a head on their shoulders is going to understand and realize that it doesn't matter if you're drinking saliva or not. Like Dehydration, you, you, you can't get not dehydrated by not drinking anything like your saliva doesn't count kind of thing i mean like yeah you can drink your urine you know once or twice no, kind of thing. no no but i think i think his thing was more like this is going to give you something to focus off. on yeah, yeah okay. it's drive it's for drive because I, I, I mean it's not I was practical wondering if there was any kind of significance with the buttons because that played a huge role like that was almost like you know the eighth character in the movie Um, Yep, because they keep sucking on them buttons. They keep sucking on the button. She writes with the button. Holloway chokes on the button. Like, I wonder if there was some kind of and I and I I apologize because I didn't dig that deep into you know theories and fan theories and commentaries and shit. But I'm just curious. I haven't either. I have not either. I've never done that. I wonder if there was some kind of because this this I mean even though it was 1997, there could easily be you know, some kind of, what do you want to call it? Like some kind of political spin to this, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, I, well, just, I just wrote down a note that said, you know, is there any significance to the button question mark? Yeah. And, and, and I will admit, I don't know. I do not know that. But I do know that after he tells them like, you know, stick with me or get left behind, the Wren jumps into this room that he you know, f- figures out is safe, but guess what? It fucking ain't. He looks, he, he looks at the, directly at the camera and says, 
merde or something like that, which is French for shit. Because he yeah. realizes he fucked up. The, that room had something to do with like heat levels or, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, well, yeah, it the was. Bo- it, the, yeah, it the boot, the like boot a was not going to set it off. Yeah, it was like send something with like your body or whatever. And it just so happened to throw the fucking acid right in his face. Out of all the places he could have landed in there, right in his face. But it was a cool fucking scene. Dude, he's freaking out. The doors close. They hear him screaming. They open the doors. His body spills out. They carry him to the corner. He's twitching out. His face is melting into yes. his own skull. It's fucking awesome, dude. I I still love I still think it's an effective scene yeah, from day one. So. I saw this as a kid, man. I was like, what the fuck is going on yeah. here? So after he dies, that's when uh, Quentin is like, I think we were all chosen to be here for a reason. Um, He's a divorced police officer. He kind of reveals that by saying he's got sons and alludes to his wife in kind of a dismissive way. Um, Levin is a a math student. That's her specialty is uh, mathematics. Um, Holloway is a doctor, so she's there to kind of patch everybody up, so to speak. But the only guy that they're not sure of is Worth. And it's like, you know, he just kind of says, I work in an office. I do. Office and it's like, all right. Every day. Yeah. I'm like, so who's this guy? Well, Le- Levin's like, okay, if these moon, if these rooms are marked, I need to check this out. And she's, she's looking at it. And she figures out that prime number rooms where the numbers, the nine numbers add up to a prime number um, or equal out to a prime number rather those rooms are the trapped rooms. And so if they go in the direction of rooms that are not prime numbers, they should be safe. Here's where the most, I don't know, he, this character, the character of Kazan, the, the you said was uh, the mentally challenged character. Yeah. He enters the fray. Um, I, I think he falls in on them, right? Like he literally falls yes. through a, a doorway. Yeah. They open they open one of the doors to check it and see if it's prime. He falls in and he's like, This room is blue. Like you get a real rain man vibe off of this guy yeah. and he's constantly like sh- like jittering and shaking his fingers and uh, the actor and, that's and, and I don't him- wanna jump ahead, but I also don't wanna forget this. But this movie again drawing parallels to another movie we'll be talking about here in, in a few minutes, Saw. I mean, this is very similar to Saw in that at first it seems random, but it ends up being very calculated um, with the characters. And I think that, I mean, I, I, I'm really curious if, you know, one Alan Juan Kind of, kind of use this as, as, as either reference or inspiration or, or something like that. Tough to say, but they, they after after Kazan is is brought into the group, Holloway kind of becomes his de facto like mother guardian. Yep. She's a doctor. She sees that clearly this guy is you know he's got he's got an issue, so she's gonna take care of him. And they go into another room that. Levin had calculated was safe. Quentin goes in and his le- he almost gets fucking destroyed by this twisting wire. Weird. Wi- another wire trap. Yeah. It sprung from him entering the room and it 
it stretches from the ceiling to the floor and twines. It, it wraps itself around whatever victim happens to be, you know, unlucky enough in the center of it. But Quentin jumps out the way, but not, not quite just in time. His leg does get like cut open by, by the wires, not bad enough to fuck him up, but he's injured. And, um, and pissed. And pissed. That's when the tensions start to rise and you, you get these, you know, these personal conflicts emerging over this, like the mystery of this maze. Like, what is the reason for it? Why are they here? And Quentin starts to question everybody. And they're in a, I know they're in a red room at this point because this is a tense scene in the film. Quentin is questioning the fuck out of Worth. And through his questioning, he finally provokes him into admitting. And it's through this moment where he's like, we're going to get out of here. Because he, he's dogging Quentin, dude. He's like, uh, no, Quentin's dogging Worth. He's like, you're, what are you worth? Worth? Like, you, you have this attitude, like, you, you know, you're fucking just ready to give up and die. Then why did you come this far? Why don't you climb into the fucking meat chopping machine? And he opens the door to the, to the room where he almost got his fucking leg cut off. Like, go ahead, jump in. Show us what a man you really are. And he won't, you know, Worth won't go. So Quentin closes the door and he's like, I thought so. Worth is like, fuck you, Quentin. And, 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 and goes off on this tirade. And he's like, we're, Quentin's like, we're going to get out of here. And Worth is like, They're, we're never going to get out of here. No, we are going to get out of here. And Worth is like, there is no way out of here. That's when it flips. And it's like, oh, shit. What does this guy know? He reveals that the office stuff he was doing was some uh, private contracting. He was being paid to design a shell, a sarcophagus, as Worth puts it, a big cube-shaped sarcophagus. Bro. So, so when you're watching this for the first time, like at this point, oh, what you got there? Triple. New Belgium. Oh, yeah, bud. Oh, Boston has cracked another one, folks. I'm still sipping on my indicator. But the first time you watch this movie and you, you find out that Worth is the guy that's at least somewhat responsible. Mm -hmm. and, and, and at this point, you get Holloway's conspiracy theory yep. personality really coming out because she's like, this is a death machine. And, and I knew this all along that there are these rich and powerful people that are just fucking with us for, you know, whatever. And, and Worth starts saying to her, like, this is – this is some forgotten project that no one needed to say yes or no to. It's just something that we're now dealing with and it has no purpose and nothing matters. It makes you think about geopolitics and the whims of mankind and how those play into what we are as the working class society. Like I get a lot of layers coming off of this scene and it's not, it's not that it was written to be that way. Maybe but it's what I get based on the climate that I live in and the, and the things I've experienced since, since nine 11 and, 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 and kind of diving into what's really going on around the world type shit. And see, I almost feel like that scene was written as almost, I don't want to say an afterthought, but I think that the concept of this movie came and then the concept came first and then they're like, well, how do we tie this into a movie with a proper ending? And I think that there really was never any real idea or attempt to have a nice 
concise, clear-cut ending. And I think that that was their way to sprinkle something in to prepare you for the possibility of one of those ambiguous type endings. Because it I don't could think, be. Yeah. I'm it not saying be. it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's... I, 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 I do like the idea of them pointing out the pointlessness of bureaucracy, though, and how that it ends in, in usually pain and, and suffering and tragedy. I, so, so, yeah, you, you could look at it either way. Like maybe it, maybe it was supposed to be like a shoehorn type thing. I, I, felt, I feel like it's more part of the plot than that, but I've seen this movie a lot. So, yeah. and, and that's where I was like curious on where you're coming in at because th my second time watching this, I, I feel like that's kind of silly in that he of all people would, would think of that. Like he's the one that was contracted to, you know, build the shell, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that that's just a really, I don't know. But like, but, but, but like Holloway points out, and this is real in military strategy, in government strategy, as far as how they, they do actually consolidate information. And she says the left hand is doing something while the right hand has no idea. No. And the brain never comes into the open. You never actually get to see what everyone is building and doing. And, and, and then you lose the, the, the point or the plot and bureaucracy the red tape of everything, it, it like it breaks down communication. Shin Godzilla is a great example of, of, of that theme, but really that theme by itself brought to the forefront where this film, that's not, I think this film's more about the characters and what they're doing and just kind of the, the whole mystery of the film itself. But um, see, for me, I just thought it was something that was a little bit silly because I mean, the, the way that they were trying, I mean, something like that with how big and complex it is, they were making it seem like it started out as a, as a science fair project for college that turned, it turned into this like, you know, five acre weird, super high tech building that, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it just, this, the first time watching it, I didn't notice it. I'll tell you that right now. The second time watching it, after hearing that, I'm thinking, like, how would, you know, someone write a check to someone to do this for something of – because there's people on the ground that are building this thing, you know. Yeah. Building these traps. Or build, and, and, again, this is me as a second time watching this, knowing certain things, trying to justify the reasoning behind it. Like, you have some guy in there that's putting in this little fucking nozzle that is a sensor for organic material coming in. That's going to spray acid. Like you're not going to have any questions from, so, you know, again, that's reading into it, nitpicking kind of thing. But I feel like that scene. Well, he points it out. Worth, worth, worth points out that most people just want a paycheck, man. They want to keep their mouth shut and get a paycheck. Like they're, they're not there to, not everyone's there to be a whistleblower and be the one, you know, Holloway says we need to blow the lid off this thing. She goes, she's going nuts to the audience. But if you're someone that is skeptical and you do look at things a certain way, I feel her in that moment. And I'm like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess I, I, I guess I consume it and take, 
take it as a real part of the story. Once you see the sequel and the prequel too, it, it becomes more, I don't know, more of a believable scenario perhaps. Right. And, and that's one thing too is, is like I watched this again within the last year, year and a half. And I don't remember the sequels enough, which is kind of a good thing, I guess, because I'm trying to like objectively review and rate just this movie here. Yes. Yes. Um, but again, you know, that's, that's one of the things too, just watching it for a second time. I can't help, but you know, think about certain things. And personally, I just feel like that little scene would have, I know that there's gotta be some kind of social commentary in it, but I just think that that scene would have been better either re rewritten or left out. That's just me because then it, it just okay. gets me thinking too much. Like, like I just have a hard time. I'm like, yeah, our government's fucked up and done some shitty things, but they're going to spend billion dollars on this, whatever the fuck you call that cube thing. Like with what, like, how does that get approved? <laughs> Again, I don't want to come off as nitpicking, but when you have a dialogue sequence like that, it's, it gets me thinking a little bit. No, and that's fine. And I love, I actually love that we have opposing views on this scene. Like that'll give the audience something to chew on. Like, right. how do you come yeah. at this film? Yeah. yeah. So in the next scene, um, Worth's knowledge of the, the outer shell, like its dimensions, Levin's like, so what are the, what are the, the dimensions of it? And he, he gives Three, it to her. Yeah. Like 342 feet squared or something like that. Yeah. Yep. And she starts pacing the room and, um, she figures out that the, the cube itself should contain 26 rooms across, equaling out to 17,567 separate yeah. rooms in total. And that's one Holy of the things, too, I was thinking shit. of. Again, not, not to, like, fucking nitpick and stuff, but I'm like, yeah, the room is 16 feet or whatever, but those hallways are, like, what, six feet four to six feet long too but they're embedded in the shell i don't know yeah yeah i uh i see what you're saying but again nitpicking my pick i know i know no. but i'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just picking i can't help it. I know, I can't no, help no but no but no but no but boss tuna i'm just picking i'm just nitpicking your nitpicks no but um so the the, the group the group figures out no no um levin figures out that these are cartesian coordinates I don't know what the fuck that means, but she does. So they're moving towards the nearest edge as determined by her theory. And um, it's like they're, they're heading there, man. It's working out. And um, they're nearing the outer wall, but the, every room around the outer wall appears to be trapped. So rather than backtrack, they encounter this blue room where if you make a single sound other than the doors opening and closing if you make a single sound all of these insane spikes come out of the walls the ceilings the floors and will impale and kill any uttering gibbering person walking through there and or traveling through there is my favorite room and scene in the movie and yes before we talk about this we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back Talk is cheap, motherfucker! Yeah, bud! Yeah, bud. Cheers, bitch. Mm-hmm. So, our characters are gonna make their way through the sound, this soundproof, or, well, sound killer room 
if you make a sound, you die. They have to scale the ceiling, climb down, and enter the a room on the far side. So each character quietly scales the ceiling. At first, Quentin is like, "We have to leave Kazan here because he's gonna make he's gonna make a sound. He's gonna fuck up. We can't trust him. He's unpredictable. We'll come back and get him later." And Holloway's like, "That's a lie, and you know it." Like we have to keep our humanity. That's all we have left. So they 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 all make their way, and it's nerve wracking as fuck. Dude, yes. Okay. So and this 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 is as I said, my favorite scene in Cube Room of the movie, and it it is because of that. Yeah, they they they're 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 stuck. It's in the back of their head. They're well, actually, side tangent here. How long do you think they're in the cube? from start of the movie to end of the movie. Uh, man, I guess I don't it's know. like 24 like, hours. I, really? Yeah. I think it's longer than that. You think so? I think it's close. Yeah, I think it's a few days. Okay. Yeah, yeah I guess it might be. Their lips, their lips yeah, start say, chapping yeah, lips and shit and, like that. Yeah, they're getting dehydrated for sure. Yeah, yeah. I guess it could be. Because I just they, they took like one break or one nap or whatever on it. Um, but no, okay, so... This scene here, yeah, yeah. It, it, they get to the cube, all five doors, so they come in one door, that leaves five remaining, are dead ends. It's all trapped. The trap in this one is awesome. Like, I felt like that one where Quentin got his leg torn up, like, it looked like that trap only came up in a small part of the room, did it not? Like, I bet if... Yeah, but yeah, but I bet if you walk in any other part, there's similar wires. Okay, okay, so that yeah, so that that would make sense. And this one, however, you're fucked. Like, there's no hiding in this room. You're you're gonna get fucking just stabbed, and it's gonna be nasty. Yes. And you know, as a as a viewer, they're not fucking backtracking. And the buildup, even though I would say this whole scene's only like ten minutes, the whole buildup to it and going through it is super powerful. But my favorite part is with what you just touched on is with Kazan. Mm -hmm. And I have a question for you and I have a question for all the viewers and I want you to be a hundred percent honest because I am going to be a hundred percent honest with you as well. If you were in a cube with all of those characters in Kazan and, and let's bring up the fact that when they open that door, he says so trap, so if, if you haven't seen the movie, Kazan is a mentally challenged individual, I guess. And he's very unpredictable, I'll say at the least. Yeah. And yeah. he's playing with it. He, he, he makes weird sound. He doesn't really talk. He, I would say he's, he's at this point, you think he's got the intellect of a two-year-old. Yeah. He just goes, uh, and he's playing with the traps going, uh, and then the fucking shit. Yeah. So my question well, he said, to you, he said, he's saying he's saying the word trap, and it and then that's when it triggers all the spikes. Yeah, he says the word. He's like trap, and they they're all looking at it like, oh fuck, that's what we got to go through. And that's when Quentin's like, well, we got to leave him here. I didn't know he was saying the word trap. I thought he was just doing some kind of like guttural something. No, he he says words, but but yeah. he, yeah, but he you do get the feeling that he's not. Yeah, he's got the intellect of like a toddler. So. My question to you, Tibu, my question to you, fans, is if you were in this cube <clears throat> with the exact same people 
which side would you land on? Would you land on Quentin's side in that <clears throat> this guy is unpredictable? I don't want to be crawling through this and have him kill me or one of you. Or would you be on Holloway's side and say, hey, we need to keep our humanity. We can trust him. Let's go for it. <sighs> Dude, I've got the kids. That's your answer. That is – I was – okay. I was thinking – actually, I didn't know which direction you go to, but I – I'm hundred percent the same way. I'm married. I have kids. I would be Sorry, like, Sorry, Kazan. Yep. I'd be like, dude, fuck you, man. Well, not really. I wouldn't be an asshole about it, but it no, no, it's not like, fuck you. It's like, okay, look, am I Quentin or am I Holloway? Like, do I, am I the one that said from the beginning, I'm going to be responsible for this human being? Or am I, am I Quentin who I don't want to be? Cause we're about to find out about this guy. Right. But, um, I mean, oh God. It, yeah. That I was curious on what you were going to say, but yeah. Could you imagine like, this, Oh man. Yeah. That, that's no. why I love that scene so much because like you're doing the monkey bars on that. And all of a sudden he just makes a sound. And, <laughs> and <laughs> well, fucking he, shish kebab. he does that for a reason though. Well, you, it was but a, you don't know that at this point. No, you don't. Yeah. So, I mean, look, judgment call, damn dude like if someone else took responsibility for him i would agree to them going through the room with him yep um and then getting and like two fucking rooms away so it doesn't i'd be i'd be like yeah and you go keep him in the corner don't be looking through the door while i'm while i'm scaling the fucking ceiling yes but so holloway and kazan make their way through the room successfully to to great surprise yep and then quentin's the last one to go through he's mr hero so he's the last guy to go through and at the very last moment, Kazan is excited because something falls. It's or no, a door, a do, one of the door levers is spinning, and they're worried that the sound of the door clicking, the levers clicking, is going to make a not levers. I keep well, saying the that's, wrong thing. That's one thing too is is they knew before they even entered the room that the doors did not trigger it. Yeah, but I this door was, was doing it. Silly. It it just builds tension. You're you're nitpicking my pick. God damn it. Well, I'm just saying though, right before they go in, Worth is saying, Oh, the door does not trigger the sound. And then you're they right. try to do this. No, you're right. You're right. This movie's got plot holes. It's yep. got plot holes. It's got it. Um, so but in that moment, if you're in the story, you're like, Oh shit. And then it clicks and nothing happens. And it's like, Oh yeah, the doors don't do that. And Kazan's like, Oh, and that's it. The spikes start coming out. Quentin's like, oh, shit. He yep. fucking quickly, like, flings himself through the door, grabs hold of Kazan, and is about to beat this dude, dude into I the fucking ground. I would have him to my fucking left fist like you would to I sorry, Okay, but sorry. I wouldn't have because I know he's uh, – you wouldn't have either. You wouldn't have punched that guy. Come on. But he, he's – Yeah, like, I don't know. Come on. But, okay, but Holloway is like, you let go of that innocent boy. And this is when Quentin reveals himself, bro. Uh, she kind of breaks him down a little bit, but they 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 argue, and she's insinuating that he was probably like an abusive husband, and he likes young Listen, girls because he's been flirting with uh, Levin. Yeah, that okay. That I I this is another part that I really love because 
you, you have to, okay, you and me have seen this movie more than once. Mm-hmm. And up to this point, you're thinking one thing, but it's contrary to the character at the end of the movie. But that Holloway, man alive, she is a piece <laughs> of work. Yeah. So she, yeah, she, God, yeah, I was going to say, God, even, even us doing a podcast in this PC world, you got to be careful what you say, but man, he smacked her, but she had it coming. Like, no, dude, there are certain things that will really trigger. Okay. Well, here, here's the question I have for you is, do you think that he actually (laughs) beat his wife and beat his kids? Yes. Okay. So. Okay, well, because because of his reaction whenever she said, so he she says he must have been an abusive hu- husband, and he has a thing for young girls, and he backhands the shit out of her, and she says, "I feel sorry for your kids," or something to that extent. If they have to deal with this, and he has a look on his face of almost a realization of, "Oh shit!" Yeah, I, I've I can do- like that. I've almost like yeah, I've done this to them. But I'm so I, I was looking at it from a different lens of if well, yeah, I mean we're we're speculating at this point, but if if I'm in that situation and obviously I don't fucking hit my wife or kids and someone <laughs> was just pushing my buttons and pushing my buttons, but you have to also put yourself in this situation too that they're in. I mean, it's a high stress situation. But man, like the only reason the only was, reason I don't side on that is because when they are having their argument, he says, "Listen here, woman," and oh, then he also no. says something about like, "Uh, you need to do what you're supposed to do." Like he has these aggro, or, okay, machismo yeah, I guess that's different. Yeah, that they well, uh, and they just gear him towards like being the type of person. And and again, the the realization on his face when she says that, I'm just like. I think this guy is that guy. Like he is the, I'm not saying he's not a, I'm, look, this is going to get people on my ass. All right. I'm not saying he's a bad person, yes. but I'm saying he's, yes. he's, a, I'm saying he's made mistakes Yeah. and he realizes in that moment, fuck. Yeah. This is the kind of guy that I have been, but that won't, unfortunately it won't be enough to stop him from being who he is later either right see up to this point i'm looking at it from a different lens and that up to this point if i'm a good person and i don't do that kind of stuff and i have someone that's pushing my buttons and is trying to elicit a reaction out of me and says certain things like that then yeah you're gonna get that reaction and you're not gonna like it kind of thing yeah yeah yes exactly exactly if someone accuses me of being a shitty dad yeah yeah my my horns will come out dude it's like no i know what i do for my kids i know what i do for my wife and family like fuck you man and yeah and you're and you're the bitch driving all of this fucking negativity into this already harrowing situation and and that's the thing too is is as a viewer we've been on the couch for a half or probably an hour at this point these characters have been in there for what a day you're you're thinking maybe two or three days so that's yeah. the difference is 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 tensions are going to be flaring and and anyways we're we're really getting fucking hardcore into this but that's i i just was and 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 that's got to be some props to the movie too if it's eliciting that type of 
reaction and feelings and, and whatnot from a, from a viewer, but yes. Oh, so, yes. So for me as a person um, at this point up to this movie, not knowing how it's going to end, then yeah, I, I was like, dude, like fucking lay off, bitch. You could see that there was, I agree with what you're saying and that he's starting to show his colors, but I'm going to talk about his character arc later on. But no, okay. anyways, let's, let's, let's carry on. All right. Well, <clears throat> they, they, they're in this final room now and it's like, okay, the next room over has to be the edge. They're all praying for uh, an escape. And Holloway even goes to her knees and says, sunshine, like, please God. And so they open the door and they are met with utter darkness. They peer through the fucking other side. And what they are met with is a colossal wall of like these it's all dark and it's the it's the shape of the cube it's the flat wall of the outer shell of the cube and you see all of these lights from all of the rooms ascending descending and spiraling out not spiraling out uh uh heading out left and right like so yes it is a cube all of the rooms are in a cube but there's no exit it seems there's just a wall on the other side um quentin goes out initially but I think they create a uh, sort of like a uh, <laughs> I'm going to escape this prison out of everyone's clothes type deal. Or is it the boots? Which is it? With the rope? Yeah. With how? Yeah. They, they make a they make a rope out of the pants and shirts because they're all yeah. in their undershirt and armor. Right. Right. So so they're, they're, they're swinging Holloway around and she can't she can't fucking get anywhere and she slips. Well, I, I think Let's let's pause for a second here because I think from the last conversation we had to right now, we really got to see the true colors of Quentin because there's some pretty intense scenes that go on in the last, I would say, I would say his character does a complete 180 from the first, the movie is exactly 90 minutes, I think, from the first, we'll say hour to the last half hour in that he really turns into a piece of shit and he turns into well how about, how about that one scene where he gets really rapey with with her and well and, and see and see well, and that's but that's before this and that's why i'm saying i think it's been building i don't think it was a 180 i think it's it, been it, building it, it does kind of build but the the problem i have is is when we're at the sound room because that's where I think at that point I would lean towards Quentin's side. But after that, then obviously, you know, he's a fucking, he's, he's losing it. Um, Yeah. I I wouldn't say he was a dick in that moment. I I would say he was practical and thinking of his kids, but, but, but if we're, if we're led to believe anything based on everything else we we're going to see and get, he was also being a hundred percent selfish. Although I do agree with the practicality of, and and the realistic aspect of, Hey dude, I've got a family and I'm trying to get home to them. Right. This guy is no one to me. I feel bad for him, but, and people are going to, people are going to think what they think, but you know what? Put yourself in that situation and know what you got to get, what what you got to get home to. And, and, and you got to deal with, you got to deal with. Yep. And I think for our listeners that have not seen the movie, 
we got to spend a couple minutes here because he does make that 180 turn in be, be, from the sound room to the final, I guess, room of. So what happens is, 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 is you get uh, Levens, who's the college girl math whiz. She realizes that, hey, it's not just prime numbers. Um, we have to figure out what is they call them? factors of prime or something like that. I'm not. It's it's the, it's the it's the it's the Cartesian coordinates. Yeah, yeah we, we yep. she figured that out, and that's how they got to the outer wall. Yeah, yep. So and and they need and they need uh, Kazan to do that. They find out that Kazan is like a fucking math whiz to do. Well, hold on, hold on. We're not we're not there yet. Yeah, we're jump we're jumping around a little bit, but uh, I think the main thing is we are going through a massive arc with uh, Quentin. And he has it out for worth at this point. So yeah. there's a oh, lot yeah. going on between, I mean, he's turning into a bully, right? Yes. Yeah. He's turning into a bully. Like there's, there's a couple cubes where he's literally, he beats the wheels off of them and he's fucking tossing them around. Like he's just a rag doll, you know, dropping him like 12 feet, what, 16, eight. Well, shit probably 20 feet from one cube to the next at the cube, 16 yep. feet and a four foot, whatever he's getting all fucked up. He's got blood coming from his ears. He's, he's clearly got concussions as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's getting all kinds of fucked up. So I would say that the tipping point, would you agree that the tipping point with his character arc is in the sound room? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So after that is where, you're starting to lean more towards the other side. But then I, I almost think that it, it's, it's like a balance because you've got far end of the spectrum. You're starting to see the true colors of, of Quentin, but then you've got the bleeding heart of Holloway and you're mm -hmm. kind of left in the middle, just like how Worth and Levens are. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're helpless between this power struggle, but the power struggle ends here because there's this loud rumbling and everything is shaking and Holloway slips and initially uh, Quentin saves her. She grabs hold of her hand and she's dangling out of the, 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 the open door of this final room between that and the void, the endless darkness beneath, above, beyond her, everywhere around her. And then he decides to let her go. Yeah. And she falls into nothingness and presumably her death. Oh, and after She's she's a goner. After this, Quentin is that's what you're saying. Like he he's just crazy at this point. He's telling Levin, like, we're gonna abandon these other guys, and he's trying to get real rapey with her, but she's like, you know, she she basically rejects him. And Worth he tries to intervene, but he gets beat the fuck up, dropped into another room. Again, um, like the third time. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's they find Renz's corpse. And they are now like, oh, fuck, we're just traveling in circles in this cube. Um, Worth realizes that the rooms have been moving throughout the cube this entire time, which, which makes sense later. Uh, well, from based on earlier in the film when Levin's like, some of these numbers aren't adding up and it's, it's because the cubes are moving around and that's what the trimmers are. That's why things are shaking. So – they're like, it's these rooms aren't prime numbers, but they're powers of prime numbers. And that is when Kazan reveals himself to be like a savant. 
he's autistic rather than mentally challenged and he can do prime factorizations mentally, which is like equivalent of needing a computer calculator. Like you need to have a capacity, a mental capacity that's beyond the normal human being. And Kazan can calculate these large numbers. So Kazan is being forced basically by Quentin, but persuaded by Levin to help them out. And they're being guided and they finally get to the bridge room. And this is the room that will lead them to the outside. They will be, they will be out of here. That, that's, that's what everything's figuring at this point. Worth who had been left behind, he ambushes and uh, it seems like he kills Quentin um, with one of the uh, the levers that he somehow broke free from one of the doors. I keep saying lever. That's not no, right. No, no. So, no, you, you got the names mixed up with Worth and Quentin and Lever. Oops, sorry. Yep. No, so yeah. So what happens is, 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 is they know that Quentin is he, – he's pretty much bullying. Like at this point, this is where he's ragdolling Worth and is throwing him into certain rooms and he grabs one of the doors and, and like tries to choke him out as they get into the last couple of rooms and you know, they, they keep going or whatever. And they try to, they, they end up leaving Quentin behind. So it's not Quentin. Oh. But it's, it's Levin that yes. yeah. she's, she's running away with Kazan and, and yep. carrying worth with her. Yep. But but so yeah, they open the door and there's like a light pouring through, a bright white light. They they yep. they're at the end. They're at the end thanks to Kazan and Levin. For a and split Levin second you through. think that you, you, you will not think, but you kind of forget about Quentin. Right. Yeah, because it seems like he's dead. It does. And 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 Worth at this point is like, you know, he kind of gives up and he just sits there and he's bleeding out and he's like pretty much like going without me without saying it for the most part. But uh, Quentin reappears, and he stabs Worth with one of those levers from the doors. That's what happens. I fucked it up. Yep. And uh, at this point, it's uh, Quentin trying to reach through the door and stop. No, I fucked it up again. He stabs. He stabs. Uh, he stabs Levin. 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 Yeah. Yes. Fuck. I'm fucking this all up. I'm sorry, yep. listeners. So, yep. So Levin is if, if and if you haven't seen the movie, I apologize. This is gonna be kind of hard to follow. Levin is a college chick. That's the math whiz. Yes. We're at the very end. They're at the end of the tunnel, kind of deal. They're all ready to hop on this. You know, go through the bridge, and and, and they're gonna be free. Well, boom! All of a sudden, you see her tilt her head back, and yeah, she's she's fucking dead. You find out that he took one of the handles off one of the doors. And stabbed did. her right through her back with it, and she's she's yep. fucking gone. Worth is battling Quentin, and he's telling Kazan to get through the door. Kazan gets through the door, and obviously, you know, Quentin's a big, you know, he's a big guy. He's he's the cop. He's trained and whatever. So he fights him off. He's halfway through the door. All of a sudden, Worth gets back up, holds his foot, and then you start to hear that rumbling. And, and yes. as a viewer, you know what's going to happen. Rumble, rumble. This fucking cube's getting moved. Half of Worth is inside. Half of them's outside. You can imagine. Quentin. Yeah, yeah. Quentin, Quentin is uh, reaching through the door towards Kazam. I think he's even holding him maybe at one point. 
and Worth is holding holding Quentin by the foot. The cube starts to slide, and you get this awesome fucking blood streak left behind. Yes. Qu- yep. Quentin gets fucking cut in half by this cube descending down into the darkness. Worth finally fucking lets go over the foot and falls down. He's going to die. You know, there's no, no going back for him. And the film ends with Kazan, his, his little hands flinging around, flickering around, walking towards the light. Seemingly escaping, seemingly escaping. Seemingly everybody. Escaping. And it's a nice little callback to earlier in the movie. Um, there's a little dialogue discord between Quentin and Worth. And it's when Quentin's basically trying to give him the, the so it's right after Quentin gets his leg sliced in that one room, and Worth is saying he's got nothing to live for. And he says, why don't you just go in there? He opens up the door and he calls his bluff. He's like, if you got nothing to live for, go in there. I dare you. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're a fucking asshole. He doesn't do it. He goes, yeah, why don't you just lay down and die? The very end of the movie, what does Worth do? He lays down and dies. He crawls up to <laughs> uh, Levin's dead body. And uh, then you got Leavenworth laying down, dying together. Dude, this movie. Everybody, pros, I mean, look, I've watched this my whole life um, from a kid. So some of the things that Boss Tuna was pointing out were things that I either never paid much attention to or just swept under the the rug, like, fuck it. Um, So the cons, dude, I'm going to let you talk about it and then I'll give my rating. So you're going to give your rating first then since it's your movie? Yeah, it's my Yeah, it's my movie. I'll give my rating first. But go ahead and just or do you want me to do you want me to just give my rating and then you no, can go no, ahead I'll, and talk. I I'll do I'll, I'll say everything I have to say and then you say your rating then I'll say my rating. All right. So I have talked a lot about this as far as my pros and cons go. Um I I, I want to say though before I get into that, I really maybe it's because I just saw Vivarium but I really got Vivarium vibes out of this. What about you? No, I, I can't say I did. Okay. Not, not not thinking about it. Like, I didn't get the vibes, so I didn't think about it while watching it. No. Sure. I mean, because I, I mean, truth be told, I watched Vivarium about two weeks ago, and I watched this today, and it seemed very similar. It seemed like you, you've got a very small – set of cast and characters in a very tight quarantine prison like space. Um, but anyways, that's kind of besides the point. I, I want mean, to point out though, this, this isn't the first, the first time you've alluded to this film being influential to something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I think that the and this movie have a lot in common, but as far as my, com- my complaints or cons, like I, I kind of talked about them already. I mean, I, I do think that it's a lot different. If, if, to be honest, my rating would have been higher on the first view. I couldn't, I couldn't find my initial rating of this, but I, I almost guarantee it would have been higher on the first viewing. Coming back, again, Tibu's, you know, this has been a lifelong or, or in your horror life, I guess, uh, movie of hers that you've liked. Yeah. I saw this movie about a year and a half ago, and I saw it today, and I can't help watch it today without knowing the things that I know, I guess, and talking about, well, 
I, I don't want to sound like I'm nitpicking, but I can't help but watch it and know certain things, if that makes sense. So, some of the – no, some of the plot holes you – I was just fucking with you, dude. Nitpicking is, is little things. You notice some kind of big things. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, was, I was fucking around with the nitpicking comments just for jokes. But, yeah, you, you've pointed out things that even on my last watch, and I've seen this movie more than ten times – that I never really even put together. I just kind of never thought about it. It doesn't, it is nitpicking really, because if you like a movie, I'm just going to say it. If you like a movie, you're going to either overlook certain things or just ignore them altogether. And it doesn't matter. Like in your head or in your mind, it doesn't matter. And that's perfectly fine. I mean, dude, I gave what flesh eater eight and a half out of 10. I mean, come on. So, (laughs) I mean, let's let's just get that out of the way right now. It's well, it's you either like it or you don't, and you either find ways to like it or you find ways to not like it. And that's kind of I think where we're at with our ratings on this. Obviously, it sounds like you've got nostalgia in this, which again I don't blame you one bit. And the things I have is it's just the second time, like like I said, the first time I always I'm not a big rewatcher. I talk a lot about the the first viewing has that knockout punch and then afterwards you get a watered down version of a lot of them and unfortunately i think that's the case with this one here so i'm coming in at a six out of ten which is i mean it's a good movie it's it's better than average i'm glad i watched it again give your rating first i was supposed to go first oh shit i'm sorry oh shit no you're good no, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> fuck that up. <laughs> no, I, I just got off on a tangent and I started running and running with it, but. Well, go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't remember what I gave it the first time through, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in at a six for the reasons we had discussed and talked about. Man, I, 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 I've got to be honest. I thought you were going to come in a little higher. I, I really did. But that's okay because I'll come in high for the both of us. I mean, dude, I love this movie. And if you heard – if you listened to The Nightclub and you heard my episode where I talk about my top whatever, I mentioned this film. I mean, this movie is a 10 out of 10 for me. I love this movie. Yes, it is tied to nostalgia heavily. But upon a rewatch just the other day, I still got a lot out of it that I, I hadn't seen this movie in, in, in a while. Yeah. So quite a while years. Um, and I was still like, damn for, for the time and what the movie was. And I knew the budget was small. It had to be small. Yeah. I said 600 grand and you cut that in half uh, for a fact. And that just so goes to show that they still made a pretty solid movie with it. And, and again, I'm, a six out of 10 is not a bad I think that in some circumstances I come in a little bit high, but I mean, six out of 10 is still a decent movie. You know, I could tell by the way you talked about it though, that you did enjoy the movie and I'm happy that you enjoyed it. Things I really enjoyed, but again, it's very, very subjective. There's certain things that bothered me, you know, I mean, a lot of to bother other people, but I wouldn't expect everybody to come in at a 10 out of 10 for this film at all. Like, in fact, I'm sure there's maybe a small number of people that would love this movie as a, and consider it like a hidden gem masterpiece. But I I do think that given what it is and what it's accomplishing, the performances, the set um, and the story, which is left 
there's a lot of unanswered questions that the sequel and prequel do answer for you. Um, I think as a standalone film, as a horror film, psychological horror film, this is top of the like top notch. I, I, I really like this movie. I love this movie. Always have, always will, man. Cube is fucking awesome. So you got Boss Tuna coming in at a 6 out of 10 and Tibu coming in at a 10 out of 10 for Cube 1997. All right, folks, we're going to be right back with our segment of the week. Talk is cheap, motherfucker! Tonight, we're going to give you a new segment. I've come up with something that uh, is near and dear to my heart. It's uh, the twist. What a twist! I think it's near and dear to Boss Tuna's heart, too. A, a good twist in a film can really make or break a story. I think, I think a twist is an essential part of storytelling. It, it's, uh, it's all the tension, all the drama suddenly taking a turn you never saw coming. Um, in, in a horror movie, a twist can be equal parts horrifying or relevatory an epiphany, <laughs> if you will, with armpit hair. Um, <laughs> ah, and so, you did there. That was a good one. So the new segment that I'm going to bring to you tonight, the listeners, and to Boss Tuna, is what a twist. We're going to take films. <laughs> We're going to take films with a twist, big or small, or varied throughout. And we're going to talk about them and compare and contrast the twist in our picks. And so tonight, I have picked for the, uh, the inaugural What a Twist segment. I've picked the film. Swing away, Meryl. Swing away. From 2002, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, what a twist. It's Signs, starring Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, what have you picked for our first What a Twist segment? I picked, in my opinion, the epitome of a twist ending. Hello. And that is 2004's Saw. Fucking A, man. And that's a great fucking film, a modern classic. Uh, Signs, not considered a modern classic, but if you are a fan of M. Night and a fan of 2000s, you know, some of the 2000s horror that people sometimes shit on, I think, I think there's some good ones in there. And th this is one. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this movie is a uh, – this movie for me is the the moment where I, I went and saw this in theaters and I was, you know, it's 2002. So I'm like 12 or 13 years old. This is the movie, the crux of, of, of my movie going experience where this is the film that taught me to analyze a film, not just take it in as, as an, as an experience, but rather what is the experience trying to show me with camera movements, with score, with, with plot points. This is the film that made me open my critical eye and look at, look at movies in a different way. It's signs. And it's because of the twist in this film. This movie stars Mel Gibson as a farmer or uh, kind of a farmer. He, he, he lives on a farm and they raise crops, but he's also a priest. 
an Episcopal priest. They, they, he's married. So in this film, he, he has lost his wife and his brother is living on the farm with him and his kids trying to kind of come together as a family. And while they're dealing with their grief, an alien invasion of the planet Earth begins to happen. But the entire film is taking place in one small town and usually in one setting, the farmhouse of the, of the family. So we're, we're trapped here with this family in the middle of this, you know, sort of rural landscape while these aliens are coming down and sort of snooping around the area. There's crop circles coming, coming up. Um, a lot of strange shit is going on. I won't get into all the nitty gritty of signs, but the, by the end, it's revealed that, that the dying wife, the mother of the kids, her last words were like a premonition to the priest, to the father. She told him to see. And that's left kind of like up in the air, like what the hell does this mean? His, she told him to tell Merrill, his brother, played by Joaquin Phoenix, to swing away in her dying words. So at the end of the movie, we get to the end of the film. There's an alien in the house. It has got the little boy. It's got the little – about the, the daughter and the glasses, though? That's – No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm getting to it. So, so by the end of the film, there's an alien in the house. He's got the little Culkin boy, not, not Macaulay, but the younger brother. Rory from fucking Sons of Chaos or whatever movie we talked about like last, what, three, four episodes ago? Lords of Chaos. Lords that's of right. Chaos, yeah. Great film. Um, the aliens got this kid, and it's 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 down to the wire now. Everybody, like Mel Gibson, is standing there, and in this moment, you get the perfect culmination of Graham finally doing what his wife asked him to do, which is to see, and he starts like all the all the blocks shift into place, and you go through this winding spiraling trail of memory and music a theme that started at the beginning the opening title of the film and and m night does this with uh james newton howard they create scores for their films that it just it, it ties it to the movie and you know the sound you know the score when you you hear it you know the film it's from i think i get this out of out of, out of these films with when james and, and m night fucking team up i love this shit he's getting all this hitting him at once and Merrill used to be a baseball player. Swing away. It was a premonition, man. There's religion tied into this film. So religious or non-religious, you have to believe that the characters believe. So you take the story as is. And he tells him, swing away. Behind Merrill on the wall is a bat. He's going to town on this alien. And the daughter, Graham's daughter, has been leaving glasses of water all over the house throughout the whole film it's become a running gag it's a joke it's like it's weird she's troubled daughter, she, by the way was it uh abigail abigail breslin was the yes. actress yes yeah young abigail breslin this very is 2002 young. folks she's a very young the, the kids are little and she's probably like four or five and and rory's like seven or eight something like that if not younger and and so she's been leaving water all over the house and the water is there that 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 is the secret weapon for the the salvation of the family like Merrill starts smashing these glasses that burn the alien it it deteriorates the skin and the muscle of these aliens and you get like this this is like a blend of cinematography 
on-screen action and pacing of the of the characters' movements. The storyboarding had to have been perfect here in my mind. And the score is a rousing, nerve-wracking, and like ultimately uplifting roller coaster ride. It, I, I feel like it's just an ending full of twists that, that come one after the other because the priest is mad at God. Mel Gibson's character is mad at God for letting his wife die yeah, throughout he, the whole film. He, he fell from the cloth, as they say, for, for a while there. Yeah, he was asking the townsfolk, like, don't call me father anymore. And he, he was mad at God, like, like, why are you letting all of this happen to my wife, my family? He even tells God he hates him in a, in a scene prior to this that still to me is full of – I just love it. But at the end of the film, it's like, well, his asthmatic son, the young Culkin, allowed his lungs to close. And so the alien's poison couldn't penetrate his lungs and kill him. So at the end of the film, after he gets a shot from Mel Gibson, he's coming back to it as Merrill is dispatching of the alien, thanks to his daughter leaving glasses of water everywhere, based on the mother's premonitions. It's like it all just hits home, man. And, and, and if not for her premonition, if not for him seeing, if not for Merrill swinging away, if not for the kids' odd predilections or illnesses, None of them would have made it out okay, and it, the movie ends with him rejoining the faith. He has faith again, and even coming from a person that is not of faith, I still find that uplifting. I still love that, and it resonated with me then, resonates with me now, and I, this, is, this, is, this is the, the movie that did it for me. This is the movie that turned me on to really watching film. So Signs is my pick, and I, it's, my, it's my what a fucking twist. So I've said this on the show before, but I'll give a quick recap to new listeners of those who have not listened to that episode. I saw Signs in the theater as well, except I wasn't 12 or 13 years old. I saw it, um, it came out, I want to say in the late summer, early fall of 2000. It was uh, late July. Because I was a freshman in college and I played football in college, so we had our two-a-days. And we went as a team to see this movie. And I'll never forget it. it was, I, actually, I think we talked about it with, we had a dis discussion topic of our favorite theater experiences because I was in a theater with like 50, you know, during midday with 50, you know, guys from a college team. And I remember that scene where you first see the alien and watching everybody like jump and freak out. Uh, it made my day. Anyways, yeah, I, I saw signs. I am what you would call an M. Night apologist. I, I love, well, I like all of his movies. I love most of his movies, and this is one of them. Word. It, it's, it's great. I, this movie, like, walking out, you know, blew my mind kind of thing. The reason I chose Saw, however, is because, again, that same buddy I always talk about in college, that was our, our tradition, if you will. Because the first, like, four Saw movies came out every single October. And I remember us, this movie's coming out. We're like, hey, this, you know, is coming out. Movies come out on a Friday for a reason. It's so you can go to the movie and then go get fucked up at the bars afterwards. <laughs> this movie came out at, like, you know, October 27th or something on a Friday, which is going to be your big party night. We went to see this. We watched the movie. And we, we sat in the, I remember we sat in the car 
in the parking lot for like a half hour afterwards talking about it. And we were 20 years old. This came out in 04. Yeah, we were 20 years old on our way to a house party. We sat and talked about this movie for a half hour because it was – when you're 20 years old, you're going to a house party to get fucked up. You're going there for one reason. And this was more important than trying to get laid. We talked about the movie. The difference, however, I will say, Saw is – I don't know if anybody can argue that Saw is a phenomenal movie and franchise because the fact of the matter is when – Tibu and I are 50 years old and hopefully still podcasting. You're going to have people coming in that are going to be 20 years old. This is going to be our Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. The Saw franchise has established itself to the point where they're already rebooting it. And the latest movie just came out two years ago. This movie is, 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 is a lot of our, gen- or not our, but a lot of the younger generations Friday the 13th movie. It's going to go, people are going to talk about this. Like we talk about Halloween, Friday, a nightmare on Elm street. And people that grew up with those are going to think that's just an asinine outrageous, you know, response. But it's, no, I, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They grew up with it. I mean, that was their, that was their theater deal. I've said this about movies like Sinister and Insidious. Like that, that is somebody's yeah Friday or Nightmare. That it, it, that's going to be it building is. blocks. That that's and for for what it's worth, I think. Okay, so if you look at the, the 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 three King franchises, you've got Halloween, you've got Friday, and you've got um, um, uh, Nightmare. Yeah. Now you've got Saw, Sinister, and Insidious. I mean that's or The Conjuring. Yeah, or The Conjuring, yep. That, that's kind of what you have. But back to Saw. What I'm going to say about Saw is the movie, there's a difference because I think that Signs was a movie that was built upon the ending. Yeah. Saw is a movie that that final final twist is just the cherry on top. Saw would have been a good movie without that final twist. It's oh. the final twist that made it yeah. a great movie and what it is today because that establishes Tobin Bell's character as Jigsaw as one of the greatest horror villains of all time. So I think that's kind of the difference um, because, you know, signs like we were talking about earlier is, is it builds up like, like you, you, you said it perfectly. I, I had a bunch of notes and I'm not even looking at them because you covered everything that I had written down with that because you had talked about with, you know, Rory I, lo- I love this movie, dude. Yeah. You talked about Rory Culkin's asthma coming up, um, her leaving the water glasses, um, Joaquin Phoenix's character as being, you know, a baseball player, not only a baseball player, but a fucking crushing home run hitter with a lot of strikeouts, which means he fucking swings hard. All he said that, he's, he said it felt wrong not to swing. Yes. All of that added up to exactly what you would expect at the end of the movie after you'd seen it. Saw, on the other hand, the movie starts out with the two characters, and that's basically what you get. You get snippets of Danny Glover. 
and you get snippets of, of um, you know, some, some uh, backstory kind of stuff. I think that Saw would have been a fine movie without that, that, that very final twist. Um, so, so it's kind of difficult. I know part of it was to talk about. I see, no, but I see, I see the two different sides of where this is why it's a compare and contrast and it's meant to see which twist would be better, but I can see in different ways why each twist works the best for yeah. the film itself yeah. because signs, it builds towards that twist. Saw is a cultural milestone in horror because of its twist. Yeah. So each film's twist works best for each film. Right. Honestly, like if you really want to look at it like that, like, the, the the twist for the for signs the, it, as in its story that's what the story builds up too so for yeah. the story it's like that what you're saying for saw is like dude you can't deny that that ending when you saw it your mind melted you yes. fucking w jumped yeah. out of your seat like and i did i did that for signs too but still for saw same fucking reaction like i was like oh fuck and we didn't even say what the twist was for saw so let's not for anyone who has not yes. seen it yeah. Let's not say it. Damn, man. I like how this turned out. Like, yeah, I fucking, I think they're both equally amazing for the films that they're, they're in. If, if, cause you said you wanted to compare and contrast and choose, obviously we're going to be biased because of the movies we picked, but I have to say the twist with saw spawned, was it eight other movies? Mm -hmm. Seven, but the reboot is eight nine total i gotta say dude that that's gotta be yeah i i, I mean well I, I, and i'll say go ahead i'll say this for, for m night and for signs people people look at sixth sense and say that that was his breakout and it was but signs gave him his career because he right. had a flop in between sixth sense and signs called unbreakable and people forget even though that movie and this, this is the testament to signs I'm going to have a layered thing for this signs made enough money and was critically acclaimed to the point to where he got to make the village, which it's is an brilliant. underrated master yeah. masterpiece in my opinion yep. and lady lady in the water. And that's when his career started to get wonky after that with the happening and so on. But I actually like, I no, I'm not to say like, I love the happening. I really did like that movie a lot. I can't get off on a tangent about that at the moment. Okay. Um, but, but I will say that, to, to give to give him his props and signs its props in such a way as to where even after the wonkiness the objective wonkiness of his career after that starting with i'd say and after the happening he recovered with the visit but but then he made sequels to his flop right it's like and i think all that spurred was spurred on by signs success so i think that that movie gave him the rest of his career up until today so, and I agree with you though, Sign, uh, Saw, huge franchise. It will be remembered as a, it's, it's one of the big ones, dude. It's up there. Oh. Jigsaw and the image of uh, Billy the puppet. It, it, it's, it is permeating pop culture, like beyond Signs. Signs ain't doing that. It's not happening. Um, signs is going to be like a little B movie from the 2000s that people discover later as like some cool it's thing. It's kind of in the same vein. The difference is, is, is saw spawned a phenomenal franchise, but signs spawned a multitude of movies with the same thing. Cause the difference is, is M night Shyamalan has for the most part, his movies are, are 
outside of the Unbreakable, they're they're all different movies with excellent twists. Saw, every single movie is an excellent twist. I yeah. mean, when you go two through seven, they all have twists where, and, and that's one not to get off on a tangent, but that's one where some of the sequels are, in my opinion, better than the first one. So. Oh yeah, well, yes. uh, dude, when I saw. Okay, I li- I like part one. I love part one, but when I saw part two and three, I, yeah. I was also doing that thing where I went watch them every Halloween. Yes. I did. I went to the. It was a. Tra- it was becoming tradition. Oh, it's an. It's Halloween. The new Saw movies out. Yeah. So yeah, dude. Like I I agree, and I I I hold true to that testament you're making that this this franchise is big. It's 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 up there in horror canon, and. It's all thanks to that fucking first twist, man. Yeah. God damn, it's brilliant. I'll tell you what, I am looking forward to the next What a Twist segment because I've already got the movie picked out and I'm excited to talk about it. So, Oh, shit. All right, well, that'll, that'll be a surprise then. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> it'll be a surprise, but it'll be a twist. Okay, a twist. so that wraps up the episode all in all. Any final, you know... Anything you want to say about the episode or anything you want to leave the listeners with before we get into next week? Nah, man. I mean, I've had fun. Um, I was pumped to come here and do this tonight. And this has been an excellent run through of some awesome films. And dude, I just love doing this, man. Thank you for having me on the Joe Blow Horror Show. Every, every fucking time we do this, it's awesome. I love it. It's fun. Okay, so... With that being said, we're going to hop into what to expect next. I always say next week, but it's next episode. So next episode, we decided we're going to do like a wintry episode. We're not going to do a Christmas per se episode, but we're going to do something that reminds us of the winter season. So Tibu, you have the old movie. What are we going to be watching next week for our old movie? All right. Well, we've already talked about this film a little bit tonight, and I left a lot of it up in the air because we're going to be getting into it. Our next old movie is from 1990, and it is Misery, starring Kathy Bates, James Caan. Dude, come on, man. I'm going to tell you right now that I'm excited for this next episode, and you guys should be as well because we've got some pretty solid movies. I will say that I've seen both of the movies we're going to be talking about. Tibu's only seen one. Oh, shit. It's going to be really fun. Uh, the movie I'm choosing to talk about in our next episode is called I Am Not a Serial Killer. It's from 2016, starring Christopher Lloyd, and it is filmed oh. in my hometown. My hometown. So, yeah, oh, there's a lot shit. of nostalgia in there. That's why I said it's kind of ironic talking about hometown movies because of this. So. This is awesome, man. I'm pumped now. Yes. I, I love Christopher Lloyd. Doc Brown in a horror movie? Fucking A. Dude, wait. Holy fucking just wait, dude. Just wait. Um, okay, discussion topic. Tibu, it's your topic. What are we doing? Okay, I know earlier we kind of both raced to this, but I'm going to go ahead and steal it from you since it's my pick. We're going to talk about the best openings to a horror film. Um, maybe we'll keep it kind of like you did uh, for our snowed in uh, segment. We'll do a top five uh, best openings. And that, that, that means 
an opening I'll define as like the opening scene. It could be before or before or after the title card, as long as the scene itself is somewhat, I'd say, not solitary, but, you know, just a good opening scene. Just top five. Let's have fun with it. It's not, it, it doesn't have to be, nothing's definitive. Lists are fluid. We know this. All right. Sounds good. The segment is going to be Zombie Jam of the Week. Stay tuned because we may have a special guest on. May. Oh, snap. May have one. Any last words for the listeners, Tibu? Um, yeah, if you ever find yourself in New Orleans and you stumble upon some chick dancing around, humping people and cutting chickens open and bleeding everywhere, it's best to go back where you came from and mind your own business. And make sure she's over 17 and not your daughter. And with that, I hope it was as good for you <laughs> as it was for us. Oh, that was incredible. Is it good for you? <laughs> I've had better. I've had better? There's some wars in this house. 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 Watch that certified freak. Seven days a week. Now get a bucket and a mop, that's a wet ass pussy.
Stop it.